Hey guys, I was lucky enough this week to sit down with Eric and Julia Leewald, uh, two of the writers for X-Men, the animated series, and a bunch of other cool stuff. I was really excited to get to talk to them, so check out the interview. Well, let's jump right in. Eric and Julia, um, why don't you guys introduce yourselves? I'm Julia Leewald. I'm a TV animation writer, producer, live action person as well, and I've worked on a number of shows over the years. Got my start at Disney TV Animation. And uh, here to talk tonight, I believe, about Mummies Alive. Alive. Yeah, oh, I'm man. Eric Wald. A lot of, <laughs> lot of shows behind me as well. And this is one that we both were showrunners on. Mm -hmm. we, we developed it we, uh, with a dear friend of ours, uh, Michael Edens, who sadly just recently passed. Yeah. And, uh, and so we were... It was right after we finished X. I, I finished oh, up with right. X Men, and uh, the Deacon Entertainment had something pre-sold with Mummies. They had a, they had, they, Andy Hayward, who's the head of the company, would throw projects together somehow. He's a salesman, and so he got of all things, Ivan Reitman's company, Northern Lights, which basically you know makes R-rated movies, and good a, and a good R and a toy company and. And the people that owned a romper room to fund this. Mm -hmm. And so there were like three financial backers to the show. And of course, I'm sure Andy just put nothing into it and just took the profits. But right. uh, so that was, we, 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 were, we were hired freelance. We weren't working at Deke, but he, he hired us specifically to develop and run the show. All, basically, all he committed to with these folks was that they were going to do a show about mummies. And we kind of yeah. took it from there. Capitalizing on that big uh, money mummy boom, yeah, yeah, who, <laughs> money mummy. That's a tongue twister for you. Who who knew? But uh, he he knew that there was interest. So so there there it went, and it was great. So it was a wonderful year. It was a fun. It was a fun show. Yeah, that's definitely was the thing that made me think. You know, that's kind of the thing I've been doing on my show is like reaching out to people that maybe created or worked on something that had a real big impact on me. And so I just got to thinking one day, like, man, that show Mummies Alive was wild. Like, I wonder who worked on that. And so I reached out to you, Eric, and you're cool enough to take some time to, for you and Julia to chat with me. I really do appreciate it. Can you guys talk to me a little bit about, you know, some of the first cartoons maybe you remember loving when you were growing up? Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, okay, if you enjoyed watching Mummies Alive, it's because we worked on Mummies Alive, which means we're older. Okay? <laughs> we are older. And given that, you know, as I say to folks, go in the Wayback Machine and realize when I was growing up uh, in Texas and you were growing up in Minnesota and Tennessee, the only way to see older cartoons was on TV. And where I grew up, there were three networks and, and four uh, local stations and a UHF channel. And it was just dumb luck if you actually got to catch like an old Warner Brothers cartoon. Oh my God, those were the best. But it was also the golden age um, that, uh, speaking of the Wayback Machine, that Rocky and Bullwinkle was you know, at least you know, on the weekend something that, you know. Was... Yeah, uh, where we were, it was, it was dependent on, it went region by region, but where I grew up, where I grew up, uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle on for an hour on Sunday morning. So that was, that was what you could, uh, instead of going to church, you could. <laughs> <laughs> watch Rocky and Bullwinkle for an hour and and the Warner's cartoons oh. were I think on one of the major networks they 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 package them in different ways 
but yeah, those were the real big, those were real big influences. I mean, early Fleischer cartoons are wonderful. You know, the Betty Boops and the Popeyes. And, the Superman. And, Super, and the 1940 Superman. So those three, I mean, Hanna-Barbera was king at the time in the 60s when we were growing up. I mean, they had half the major shows on TV. Right. Uh, Flintstones, Huckleberry Hound, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Jetsons. Jet Jetsons. And uh, so they- Top Cat. So we saw a lot of those and enjoyed and enjoyed some of those, but never had a passion for them the way I did for Rocky and Bullwinkle and the like Daffy Duck and uh, Bugs Bunny cartoons, especially like the 30s, 40s of those that were a little wilder and less less tame. My all time oh, yeah. well, <laughs> I think the joke on the interwebs these days is you know how to learn classical music. Oh, listening to the radio, listening to my parents' collection. Watching Warner Brothers cartoons. You know, that's yeah. how we all learned really great. Barbara sure. Seville. And it. I played in the band in high school, so yeah, I appreciate that that I was introduced to that stuff. Yeah, Inky the Minor Bird used to walk oh all around God. to a to a, a, a Mendelssohn mm -hmm. uh, motif. Dee, 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 dee. Yeah, right. I went to the, I went to the library and, and borrowed the actual you know the the actual Mendelssohn music to see what record. Yeah, and nine <laughs> times out of ten, when, when I do that, when I try to listen to the source material. Warner Brothers made it had made it cooler had made it more fun. They they took something that was beautiful or stately or whatever in in classical music or or in popular music because Warner's had a lot of pop stuff that they could mm -hmm. that they had the rights to, um, and then they just put that extra little twist to it and they just they just made it come alive with their characters. Right, set it to animation. I actually, just recently was talking to Craig Bartlett. He created Hey Arnold. And we had this exact same conversation about how I was introduced to classical music by watching uh, Looney Tunes, watching uh, Bugs Bunny do Barber Seville, Tchaikovsky with Pepe Le Pew and things like that. Like, um, it's just funny. Like, I didn't even realize what it was. Like, you don't think about it as a kid. And so I remember hearing it and then hearing it maybe like in an opera or something and like, oh, my God, are they playing Looney Tunes? Like, I had no idea as a kid, you know. And so that is just such a cool, like, way for them to, you know, kind of repurpose or, like, bring um, a music from a different era into, you know, popularity again. I always thought that was very cool. Absolutely agree. Oh, oh also, when I was nine, uh, Johnny Quest came out. And I thought oh, that was yeah. I thought it was a very cool, intense, it was, it was a one-season thing. I think they only had 13 episodes, but it was, it was action-adventure. And I love the way the Venture Brothers has has oh skewered it. It's carbon copy, man. Yeah, they that they nailed it for sure. The uh, homage to that. Yeah, yeah. In fact, the guy that who was the uh, director producer on our show, Larry Houston, shared uh, love for Johnny Quest with me, and went he he and Will Minio created our opening for for, for X Men for the X Men show. They used that kind of in the back of their head as you know, just action, 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 mm -hmm. pounding music. No oh. explanation, no hi, where are the X Men? You know, <laughs> it, just boom, 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 and and it worked. And so it was this, uh, as say, homage to something that was unique to Johnny Quest at the time. There wasn't anything else on quite like that. That is true. It does kind of have a departure in the '90s because it was like they went for the grandiose, whereas like more in the classical style with like. Things like Justice League, the classic cartoon, it, you know, you watch it now, it's a little bit hokey now, but at the time it was just like a normal thing, like, hey, let's introduce the characters and what they do. Like, I remember watching those cartoons and 
I mean, they've continued to show stuff like that. I remember when I was a kid as well, um, Rocky and Bullwinkle would be on, on Cartoon Network real late. It'd be like Saturday night, probably like midnight or one, and they'd start showing things like Rocky and Bullwinkle and Top Cat, things like that. So I was actually exposed to those things, and it's just cool that, you know, that kind of transcends generations. Like, I know about a thing that you all know about, too. Yeah. That that tells me also that things have stood the test of time, that they were well done. That fact that, exactly. that you watched it and said, oh, I, you know, I'm going to remember that. I kind of enjoy it. That we watched it and went, oh, that, that stuck with us. Because there's plenty of stuff out there that we've all been exposed to. It's like, I don't really have a memory of that or it didn't matter. But yeah, the fact that we have these conversations about these things to me just means they were very well done. Yeah. And Bullwinkle's done back in the fifties. And we actually met a couple of people when we were, when we met at Disney in like 88, uh, worked with a couple of people that had worked on it that, you know, back in the fifties and they, uh, uh, Zaslav, uh, Alan Alan Zaslav explained to us exactly the perfect description of what what made Bullwinkle work so well it's just they didn't care about the animation it was it was a fast-paced radio comedy boom 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 yeah, with, 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 yeah. with 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 fun designs because they had no money no money they had like you know a tenth the money that a Disney cartoon or Warner's cartoon would have and they're making it in Mexico on you know no schedule and no budget and having the time of their life just just keeping you Jazz and keeping the pace up and keeping the tension going and keep and but it was he said it was a radio play and that's the way they thought about it going into it and then they did, did as much just uh, it's kind of like with South Park they did just enough animating so that you've got something to look at and something fun to look at but nothing like you know people go don't go into animation to try to you know, to do Bullwinkle, they go to try to do Disney or you know, Fantasia. Right. Yeah. So um, it's not easy to do anyway, with yeah. a, even with a budget. <laughs> but we, yeah, sure. we, we, we love the fact Bullwinkle people obviously were writing the scripts for themselves. And they said, you know, kids will get about half of this and we don't care. We're having a fine time and they'll love it anyway. And a salute to the voice talent they had. You yeah. know, oh. the, the, the fact that that voice talent and the voice talent we're speaking of in terms of animation nailed it sold it those are the voices i hear in my head to this day i always hear that hey rocky (laughs) (laughs) Ah, that's pretty good (laughs) um yeah i it's those things too that are just i call it i'll call it being a core memory it's like something i'll be on my deathbed thinking about bullwinkle pulling out a lion from a top hat like i will go to my grave with that like I, i don't know for whatever reason that's just always i think about that probably at least once a month. I don't know why. It's just if something. The says, you know, must, uh, try, must try to have. Don't know my own strength. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I wear a yeah. seven and a half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just funny, man. Like, there's no. It's just a bit. It's just like a funny thing. Like these people didn't think that they were making something that would like. You know, they couldn't have imagined what the impact that it would have. Like that, it would be a core memory for somebody for thirty years. You know, like that is so rad. What you just said is really important to remember that the stuff that was produced, okay, um, the Warner Brothers stuff was were, were part of the trailer package for films in theaters. Right. TV right. didn't even exist back then. Right, so they That's had big right. budgets yeah. and they had a long time. They had you know a half a year to, to make one uh, with those little six-minute bits. And that's one reason that the comic timing was so amazing. <sighs> they look so beautiful. When we came into uh, animation in the 80s, the word just was, well, budgets are getting smaller and smaller. We don't have the time to, you know, it, it just, 
the, the we have to crank out so many so fast. We don't, you know, we you can't count on the comic timing being there the way it was in these beautiful theatrical sh shorts. And then with Rocky and Bullwinkle, there was absolutely no concept that there will be a way for folks to access this in the privacy of their own home whenever they want to in terms of VHS. <laughs> that right. was a radical game changer in terms of being an audience member and saying, I want to see that again. It didn't, you couldn't do that. That that was magic though, genuine magic. But so the fact that you have a core memory, we have core memories. Yeah. And these folks, when they were putting it out there, they had a schedule, they had an air date. And it'd be nice if it got a few reruns. Oh, it got sold into syndication. Maybe it'll play a few more places. No one had the idea that this was going to last yeah and see here we are still talking about it to this day like that's that's what i love about things like this that's why you know on my show I, the things i like to talk about are music and animation because those things transcend time generation um creed gender every i mean you know what i mean you can be anyone from anywhere and enjoy the same thing as anybody else i love things like that there's just just so I have to we have to mention them before uh, we go too far in. Seth Kearsley, who designed it and did a lot oh of the storyboarding, um, and just worked himself to a frazzle. He was 23 or 24 when he got the gig. He was a baby. And, when he got the job. And just and did whatever you loved about the visuals. That was Seth Kearsley. Yeah, he gave it a design that really made it distinctive because. At Deke, where we were, were working, just you know, the word was do everything as cheaply as you can and get on with it. And Seth just said, Hell with that, I'm gonna make this look beautiful. <laughs> and, and really did some beautiful design work on, mm -hmm. on that and, and, and made it look different from any other show we've worked on. Oh, yeah, like the character designs and that, the transformation sequences. I mean, those are all things that I remember to this day, even. Um, it's just such a quirky show. And you know, it's one of those shows too that I, um, I'll bring up to my friends and if I bring it up to maybe 10 people, maybe, maybe one or two knows what I'm talking about. And I don't know why that is because I remember, I mean, it was like religiously I would get up and right before I had to leave for school, it was on real early and I'd watch that. It would, it would be that. And then like a, there was like a men in black cartoon that was out around that time too. And I would watch those before I went to school, and it was just like one of those things. Like at the time, you don't think they really bring stuff up like that, and then all these years later, you try to be like, "Oh, do you guys remember this thing?" And you know what I mean. So many people are like, "What are you talking? Like a mummy cartoon? Like what?" <laughs> but that's also but I, a, a point to to acknowledge right now that. There was ABC Network, C NBC, and CBS, and your affiliated stations, and your syndicated stations. And then Fox Kids came into it in the 90s. Mummies Alive was not the product of a network studio. It was through Deke. And then the question is, how does Deke... Where do they put it? Where do they scrape out the airtime, uh, the air you know, the and space? Some, yeah, in some places it got a good time slot. Some places it was terrible, you know. Depending on where you- Five in the morning. You grew up, but it was playing in the morning for you to get up and go see it before you went yeah. to school. Other places, I think like 3 a.m. on some yeah. networks. It yeah. was just for some oh, channels. Man. There was no national- uh, you know, graveyard shift. Schedule. Yeah. 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 So I'm yeah. glad you got to see it. Because not everyone, nine out of 10 did not get to see it. Yeah, we got, <laughs> when, we go to, when we go to Comic Cons, it's one of the things that they mentioned, you mm -hmm. know, of the 30 or 40 things that we've talked, that we worked on. Uh, I'm going to put these You here. know, obviously 
X-Men is the first thing they talk about, but in the next in the next five mummies alive is always mentioned with along with a couple other things. But it's it is the people that saw it enjoyed it. We 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 were discovering <laughs> really got a really got a kick out of it. And it was it was funny. We we uh, it was there was a moment uh, when we were making it where we were we weren't yeah, quite sure what the show was going to turn into. No, we didn't know. Uh, because we were excited. We thought this could be so cool. We're dealing with Ivan Reitman's company, you know, because because uh, Dick had done the animated Ghostbusters. So we were talking, oh, we've hooked up with these great guys. Oh, we, they're really funny. They're very, it's it's very adult humor. Uh, and the Ivan Reitman people were, were keen on this. Oh, push yeah, it. yeah. Like, this is fun. And, and so the guys that were assigned to work with us for the first five or six weeks were tossing out stories uh, to them, showing them scripts. They're loving it and they're pushing it further. And we're starting to get nervous notes from the other financial partner, who is the lady from Romper Room, because they have a financial interest in this as well. And he said, well, we're not sure. Miss, you know, Mr. Hayward said that this would be perfect for you know, small children. And so the tension's building up and we're wondering why she's asking this stuff. Because of course, Andy never told us that he got half his money by swearing to this person that because he would say anything to, to get money uh, that it, it would be perfect for little children so we're writing to please an r-rated movie production company right. and getting these scareder and scareder and scareder notes finally we have a big meeting and and she says no we can't do this you can't have all these big uh, uh words word you <laughs> can't have all this egyptology in this this is all going to be so confusing and and challenging and bothering to the kids you know you have to make it so much younger you have to stop 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 and we didn't want to of course and we went to andy and pushed that are called the people the, the right people they said well can't we keep doing it the way we want to do it and we pushed came to shove evidently quietly um the romper room lady has more money in it than the other two partners so it was a strange thing but that's just the way independent pr productions out here get thrown together with various partners. I mean, on X-Men, there are like five partners. Uh, and you never know who's going to have leverage or who's going to be really interested in which way the content's going. They don't just say, here's all of our money. Make any show you want. Boy, we wish they did. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So in this case, there was a tension among the backers, let's just say. And we found a, a, for what was us a comfortable creative line in between the two. Man, it's see that's just like I love hearing about things like that though because it was like, you know, for the for the end person like me, the consumer, it's like I have no idea any of that happened. Like I don't know what y'all went through to create this, so it makes you appreciate it even more. I did want to talk a little bit about, you know, I, I'm always interested in how people can you get into their craft. Can you guys talk about writing? Like, how did you get into writing? What made you kind of think like? You know what? I'm interested in doing this. Like I like this. Eric and we we've, we've talked to each other about this. I can tell you the exact moment when it occurred to me that it could be a career. But the growing up, I would I always had a spiral notebook and I always had a pen and I was always writing. You know, oh that's an interesting turn of phrase or oh I'm writing a poem because being a young female you've got to write poetry. Right? But I loved writing. I just loved writing and I loved reading. I think people kind of forget that. How important reading is in terms of developing a person 
into what becomes a writer and love film and TV. But I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and it, it wasn't even on the radar as a possible career choice. It, it, it wasn't. So I, I was on the, I, I, was for, I was very fortunate. I had the life path where it's like, okay, go to college and then go to some sort of graduate school, probably law school, maybe medical school. That was just the way it was gonna happen. And senior college in Lubbock in a parking lot, a friend in a, <laughs> hey, I just got a student teaching job on music at a junior high in Santa Paula, California. And I, they pay people to write in California and you like to write, do you wanna come out with me? And that was like, it had never occurred to me. I had my broken my leg on a stupid ski trip. I had my leg in a full body, a full leg cast. I'm in Lubbock, don't know anybody. It's like, you know what? If I can make that happen. So I did come out here, but I'll type, but made it out here. But to the folks who are saying, well, how do you become a writer? How do you break into Hollywood? It was 10 years. It was 10 years from the day I got here to the day I got a job that went, oh my God, I can do this. But that was 10 years of going to law school, practicing law for a bit, going, knowing I don't want to do this, but I got to figure out how to live in Los Angeles in the 80s and 90s, in the 80s, while I'm trying to learn my craft. There was no internet, there was no interwebs, there was mm -hmm. no way to do this without going to French's bookstore and, and, and finding scripts. There was, no, you know, there was no way to find just the basic material of what does a script look like back then. So yeah, 10 years out here in Los Angeles, got an opportunity and refused to let go. The point of that is I had 10 years of also of things that I've been writing, like spec scripts, you know, uh, comic sketches, just so. So when the opportunity came there, I, I had material to come in and say, I can do this. Can I pitch you for that? And I want to put that point out there to folks. That yeah, have a, have a big portfolio. Have a portfolio. It's the hardest thing you're going to do. Do it without a deadline and without getting paid. But it's the most important thing you can have in your arsenal yeah. to keep, show what you can do. Yeah, keep writing. Because I, I just, uh, I mean, I grew up not anywhere near here either. <laughs> but my, I grew up in college towns. My dad was a professor. He's a literature and culture professor, Latin American literature and culture of all things. But um, so I grew up loving stories. He loved movies. So I went to, you know, movies a lot and he, he, he watched Bullwinkle with me, loved TV, just storytelling and enjoyed that immensely. And when I got into college uh, in Tennessee, it just hit, you know, I didn't know it was going to be a math major, whatever. It just hit me that, that movies were like the coolest thing on the planet. And of course, before VHS, yeah, yeah. VHS. yeah, this was in the 70s, and there were maybe you know six <laughs> colleges in the country that had film classes, and so, and now you know now everybody does, but at the time it was pretty difficult, and but I just thought, well, hell, we can do this, and I, I <laughs> you and your friends, yeah, and so I took a uh, semester off, went up to New York to NYU, took a bunch of film classes, and then friends of mine and I in, in who we we. Uh, we programmed all the movies for the university, like 180 movies a year. They had a student film program. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if colleges still do that. Yeah, in the old days, yeah. I mean, before you were a toddler, <laughs> uh, there there was there were no blockbusters. There was no streaming. There was the, the only way to see an old movie or a cult movie that or wasn't a foreign on TV. movie yeah. uh, was well. First of all, it was on your TV, but that was maybe six or seven movies a week. 
or maybe you know at, at midnight they'd show they'd show uh, a cut up version of of an old movie they uh, uh so it was impossible to it, there were no library of films there were there was no vi no video stores there was no so so the way to learn about all the world of movies was to program them for your school of course and then get in free and be able to take a date free <laughs> but program it for the university so we enjoyed doing that and after by the time we graduated so let's make a really low budget movie and we did i still can't believe you pulled that off and it was in, in east tennessee and it you know it looks like a student film but we sold it and lost money and it you know it played it was you know what used to be called a drive-in movie you know like uh sexy stewardesses <laughs> something like or that. monster movies the, or monster movies that kind of level thing and so um but we did that my you know buddies and i in tennessee we came out here to california in our early 20s we or we took a a, a, a trip out here and say hi we got a movie you know we we sold the movie well, uh well, that and you, know, you want to sweep up i mean there was no there was no we, we that did not make our career believe me and it didn't get you into a studio to sweep up no one was saying well come in and enter yeah. or apprentice that didn't so, happen but the, the the point being that gradually came out here, learned the world. I mean, it didn't take me 10 years because I didn't go to law school, but it took me five years. And then finally, after you know, writing this much stuff with often with friends that helps when rather than being alone, uh, got you know, a guy, a neighbor was working in Hanna-Barbera and he said, you know, they've, they've just taken on like three big new 65 episode syndicated shows. They need new, more writers and you can pitch without an agent. For animation. For animation. So I hadn't planned animation at all. And just came out here and it just was like the first door that opened. So I had what you know, they said, well, we need something short, we did something funny. And so I took out a you know a half hour comedy script. And it was good enough so that or at least the ladies thought it was good enough that okay, you can pitch shows to us. You're no longer on the outside, you're on the inside. So that opened the door and within a month or two got busy for like 30 years. So it was like one of those, <laughs> yeah, it's many, 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 many years in the, in the making. I mean, we're, we're talking about us being in our late twenties, you know, when things break for us out oh, here, Jesus. Uh, but when it happened, we were ready, you know, when, that, when that opportunity hit, we were ready. And it just, the first, the first, the first show I ever wrote for here was uh, the one I pitched for was challenge of the go box, which was a 1980s transformers competitor. They were transforming vehicles just like the transformers were but the gobots were different they were a different toy company they were what what company was this for uh, i can't remember the toy no, company but, but toy it's for hannah barbera hannah barbera yeah yeah and so another tennessee buddy and i you know each wrote about six of them we got got our foot in the door that's what the first thing we pitched for we we had one premise that came through that they liked okay didn't know if they're gonna, and so they gave us a try, and we busted our ass, and did just well enough the first one to get more work, and it just kind of built from there. And I want to jump in. You mentioned programming films at Tennessee and and falling in love with films at Tennessee. That's where you met Mark Edens and Michael Edens. Am I yeah, right? Yeah, all the the guys that work on half half the people who worked on Mummies Alive were old friends from Tennessee. I always, oh. I was always jealous that he came out here and and had his own. Tennessee mafia of friends who came with him. Yeah. I didn't. You ran an entourage. But yeah. but, but Mike, Michael Edens 
who yeah. himself was a major. Yeah, he was, he was a history, history major. History major, which brought so much to the fun for us of Mummies Alive was coming up with the universe. And he. Yeah, because yeah, Michael loved, build, loved building building worlds for mm -hmm. animated shows, especially old historical worlds. And so he had a real hand in, in what, you know, what we chose to use out of ancient Egypt. All right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I, I've had the opportunity to talk to quite a few people that have created shows that have had a big impact on me. And the common through line for all of them is that they were just immersing themselves in what they wanted to do. And eventually they got they got an opportunity to to make something or to do something. Um, you know, I think a lot of the time we get lost and we lose the middle of something. We see people starting out and then maybe we see people like, like y'all that have done things for, you know, so many things for so long that you forget that there's this huge amount of work that goes in in the middle. And I think it's, that's kind of one of the things, I mean, it's in any, talk, talk about any field or, or art. People see how good you are and they want to be good like that, but they don't want to, you know, they often don't know how much time goes into doing it, honing your craft. Um, that has been a common line everyone has talked about that I've interviewed. I want to acknowledge that I hate the fact that so much time has passed, but when I came out to L.A. and when I, have my, when I went to law school, la, 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 I was able to afford living in L.A. at that time. And, and I had many friends in the improv community who were working as servers and waiters, and that was enough to cover their nut per month. I don't know how a young person moves to LA and does that kind of uh, things low have got, Yeah, things have got real pricey out it's here. Just, so so I, I, I do not want to pretend that I didn't have it easier in terms of the time frame. It was a different universe back then, so that was easier. But in terms of the length of time, you know, it took me 10 years. And I want folks to realize that, like you said, it took 10 years to finally figure right. out and get the opportunity. And it's and it's it's weirdly, I, I guess any major industry is kind of insular this way. If you wanted to design cars, you would just go up to Detroit and say, I like cars. You know, <laughs> let me let me design the next Mustang, please. I drive one every day. Yeah, I know. I know all about them. Uh, <laughs> There's there's a an acclimation period. There's a getting to know the world, getting to know the the jargon of the business, getting to know the players in the business, getting to know who to pitch yourself to and how and 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 so there was all that all those years. I think most people spend doing that. In the old days, it was kind of hard to. I mean, I think there's less competition then, but it was hard to find out how. As you oh saying, my there's, God. there's no internet. You don't know how to write a script. You maybe get some, you know, old, old guy from the, the 30s that will tell you a little bit about it. And when, if you can find him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, where do you find where? where you, how? Yeah, tell where, me. Yeah. <laughs> there were not a, lot of, not a lot of books about it. There were not a lot of, uh, there were not courses, you know, how to be a screenwriter. Uh, so. The Learning Annex. I yeah, actually yeah. went to Learning Annex <laughs> yeah. from Galaxy Quest. I went to Learning yeah. Annex. Yeah. So, Sorry. Yeah. But yeah. But, Where yeah. do you go learn? Where do you go yeah. to learn? And, and nowadays, as I said, you know, I was, I was trying to get a sense of my, my first spec script when I came out here was one for Taxi. That's long enough ago. There's a, a sitcom that, that was playing at the time. And I remember that show. Yeah. There was. No, there was no VHS yet. There was no, uh, there, there were no streaming services. 
I didn't know if I was going to pitch a story, you know, what the, so I went to the library and got what library? the downtown library. Downtown LA? Yes. <laughs> and, and and had the librarian bring out five years of TV guides. And I wrote down the log lines of all, you know, 147 taxi episodes that have been so that I wouldn't do some, you know, I wouldn't repeat one. And so that was about as much information as I could find out about taxi was what had played on television. You know, you didn't, couldn't find scripts. You couldn't, you know, nowadays you just say, yeah, I, I think I'd like to, to write for that show. You just hit a button and you could watch every episode that's ever been. Or if it's a new show by the same people, if you want to pitch somebody, you can look up what they've done and see all their old, it's just, it's all on the web. You know, all the Marvel stuff when you're doing X-Men. Oh, you know, I wasn't a, an X-Men uh, reader really. And so I had to find dust off old books to, to, to find out what the old stories were. Now you just say, go to marvel.com. Everything that's ever written about them, you could just spend a couple months yeah. and become an expert. And so it's it's easier to learn everything now, but yes. there's so much more to learn and probably so many more people that think they could probably be part of it. Yeah, definitely. Everything, everything nowadays has a wiki. I mean, you could find... Everything about every, you know, whatever you're looking at, there's like a, on, on, honestly, there's probably going to be a wiki about it. So you learn everything about it, just like all in one place. It's just so different. You know, we're connected now more than any time in human history. And it's just so interesting to me that, you know, we have that at the tip of our fingers. Just it's sometimes it's, I just think about it and I'm just like, that's insane that we can do that. That's so, it, reaching out to you and Getting to talk to you. I mean, that's just, that's modern technology at work right there. One thing I wondered, I've, I've talked to a few people about this. Can you talk about maybe something early on, writing something early on and thinking, man, you know what, that's something, like, that's good. Like, I, that's something. Yeah, come on. What, what, what year, what time is it? <laughs> Has that happened yet? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm much more arrogant and self-confident than she is. She just always you know somebody would tell me that there's something wrong with what i wrote but, but let me say this here we're having a conversation guys i'm a i'm a gal and gals were kind of wired differently in terms of go out there and be a be a tiger be a champ it's it's taken me forever to kind of get comfortable in my own skin and go this isn't bad or i i, I like what i did that's not an easy thing for me to say i just put that out there for folks who may have the same problem yeah, no, with me, it was, oh, this is cool. <laughs> you know, sixth grade or whatever. Yeah, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not seeing my other sixth graders write something this cool. Look at this. You know, so, so yeah, yeah, I, that's, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a problem. It was, there was obviously, there were problems getting confidence that you could be a professional. Yeah. That you could, that you, is, is there some special magic to, to actually getting paid for this and making a career out of this versus, well, I, I forced myself, I've sat down and written stuff and good, bad, or indifferent. And enough of it's been good that I feel confident I can do this just as a as a craft. But then you look around and you see, well, there are hundreds of thousands, thousands of other people writing and and 95% of them aren't making a life out of it. And it's a struggle. And most of them, you know, they, they teach for a living or they, you know, they have a day job and they, they write at night because it's, a, it's making it a career is a weird thing because yeah. it's a separate thing from your craft. And there's no 
roadmap for it because it's also crazy individual, you know, pinball. You know, you bounce here, you get the job, the next person calls you for this, but the other person gets called for that or doesn't get called at all. It's, but, but I want to, you mentioned craft and I want to point that out in terms of when did you feel you kind of did something decent. There is a craft to screenwriting, whether it's for an animated 22 minute, whether it's for an hour and a half movie of the week, whether it's for something for Netflix, whether it's a big budget, you know, live action film. You, it, and craft is something you can learn. You can learn the craft. Now, whether you have that genius story, whether you can tell that crazy great story you got, that's, that's a separate issue. But there is a craft to it. And I encourage folks, if they're interested, to, to look that up. God, if I could have looked it up back then, I would have saved myself years in terms of learning how to write a script that looks like a script's supposed to look. Yeah, and that gets that weirdness out of your head. I mean, we're starting out saying, well, is, is somebody just going to dismiss this because it doesn't look professional? There's a, there, there, that's a realistic worry in the back of mm -hmm. people's heads. And now there are a thousand places, you know, half of them for free online where you can go and, and find out the way to format things, the way to present things. There's, there's standard software. Yes, the software. There's Jesus. standard software, some of which will would say, well, which TV show are you budget? Because different shows have slightly different formats and, and it's just, you know, there's ways to make yourself uh, look professional yes. so much easier than when we stumbled into it and and had had no real much of a direction. But yeah, that, yeah I, I get that. Once once you're past that, it was a good thing to get past this worry about looking unprofessional. Then it just comes down to the storytelling, and uh, that's you can you can hone that skill. Let me yeah. say that it, it doesn't doesn't mean like let's say some people just aren't very funny and that's it's just it, or or they're really musical or they're not really musical it's like they're they just don't have the pit you know, the ear the ear for it and that's fine i mean you just you take what you've got and you, you hone it the best you can it doesn't mean that life's going to be fair and no. that if if you have if you were in love with music and you happen to not be very musical it's going to be a struggle and it could just be, you know, miserable for you if, if you don't admit that to yourself. Doesn't mean you can't improve what you do. It just doesn't mean that you maybe can make a career out of it. I had a brilliant point and I'm trying to remember what it was, but it was about that very thing. Oh, oh, <laughs> and if, if you want to be a writer in the universe of TV, animation, film, versus say a, a, a poet or, 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 or a playwright, it's a collaborative process. And yeah. that's something that's not really brought to people up front. It, it is very collaborative. And if you are not comfortable taking notes or acting on notes, that be aware of that because that's part of the process. A lot of people are putting a lot of money into it and a lot of people want to have their say. And as far as the crafting of it, this is the idea I had that was brilliant. I would recommend to a writer, if you can, if you're in the air, uh, enroll yourself in a in a drama class where you act or enroll or, or join an improv troupe because for you as a writer to get on stage and to feel the words come out of your mouth then as a writer you understand what an actor has to pull off and because you're writing for an actor right but if you've never done that and you think well I'm, I'm a great dialogue writer I know exactly what I'm doing I defy you to to do that without having performed it on stage it's a very different skill set 
And I think any writer benefits from having yeah. stood on a stage and had to speak to an audience. Yeah, and or, or even if it's just a case of making sure that it's that when you write something, get some friends that are halfway decent actors to act it out so you can hear what it sounds like. Do the so, table so it's read. not in your head. Yeah. yeah. Do table reads. It's it's always frustrating. It's always embarrassing when you've written something and it comes out and it kind of dies in the room. Yeah. And that can happen. And so there's a certain amount, a serious amount of vulnerability in creating anything. But yeah, let other people read it. Let other people perform it. And because you realize you, she's right. It's where if I was writing a book of poetry that I was going to self-publish, every word is mine. If I'm writing for television, you've got the network, you've got the people producing it, you've got the actors. In the case of animation, you've got the artists, you've got your all, own story editor. You've got yeah, the, your colleagues amidst the writing group that that have agendas. You've got uh, in the case of television, usually broadcast standards. You've got, you know, sensors that have that have concerns, and all these people have realistic professional concerns about this little story you're writing. And so, if you if you can't get comfortable, say, changing eighty percent of what you've written uh, on your first pass, making them all happy, and yet keeping it your your own then you're in the wrong business because you're not writing for yourself, you're writing for your team. And an addendum is, it's equally important to understand if someone says, oh, you know what, you need to change, we don't like that bit in the first act where they're in the barn, can you change that to an airport? As the writer, you also need to be aware, well, if you take it out of the barn, then we can't have the cow walk in in the third <laughs> act. We need the cow. Yeah. So as a writer, you are, you are, it's important for you to understand where the notes are coming from but to defend when yeah. you need to. It's yeah, a balancing yeah. act. Stand your ground. And we, we always laugh because we always quote Captain Kirk. Uh, uh, gentlemen, I need that third alternative. Nine out of 10 times when there's a problem where Marvel is telling us or the network is telling us or the sensor is telling us you can't do play the scene that way. How about doing it this way? And you, and you just hold your head and say, no, that's, and think to yourself, no, that's terrible. That ruins the entire story. What you do is, is you come back and say, I see what you don't like about what I did. How about if we do this third thing? And it's a third thing that you like probably three-fourths as much as you like the first thing you pitched, and that they might be able to like three-fourths as much as what they pitched, but it doesn't ruin the story like what they've done. Mm -hmm. And so... That was an incredibly helpful defensive weapon when you're dealing with, or or, or way to or way to collaborate without just getting bloody and screaming and saying why are you trying to ruin my story? They're not trying to ruin your story. They have legitimate re responses. They have legitimate interests. And if you can't find something that you, I mean, it's, it's incumbent on you to find something that they can live with that you can live with. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a really fine art, and and that's uh, it's important part of it's important an important part of uh, what the work we do. Yeah, finding the middle ground, I think you know, in a lot of things is something that is difficult to do because, in a lot of ways, especially if you're creative, you feel like 
I don't know, depending on your ego, it's like you think someone's calling your kid ugly. Like, <laughs> it's hard to take your, you know, one of the, the some of the best advice I, t- I got about um, just kind of taking yourself out of it and kind of looking at it for the whole is your ego is not your amigo. Like, have your ego and know when to defend it, but also know when to step back and think, okay, all the parts of this adding up to the whole, does this make sense? And do I need to defend it or do I need to concede on that? And finding the middle ground in anything is can be difficult, but it happens. And you're right. Like, that's a very difficult thing to do, especially with creatives. You know, I would, I think my, uh, I have a couple buddies that would just completely wring my neck if I didn't bring up X-Men. So I want to talk about X-Men for sure. Speaking of X-Men. So just I, uh, a, rec- a recent book of, of ours. That's rad. We just published, it came out in, it, it's, yeah, called, it's called, it's called the art and making of the animated series. And it's, it's a coffee table book with all the art and design, designs of, of, of the whole show and how it's all put That's together. Sick. Nearly four, nearly four pounds. Four pounds. Uh, Larry Houston and Rick Hoberg from the show did the front cover and they designed the back. There is original art in the book as well. But if you are interested in how if they're, to if they're together, it, if, if, yeah, uh, it's always available on Amazon. If you can't find it, we always have copies. We can we can we can cut a deal. Yeah, we can we cut a deal and send you signed copies. But the, from the here. point is that that came out. We worked really hard on this. It came out in October 2020. Height of the pandemic. We have not been able to go out and celebrate the book yet. So we're celebrating it with you right now. I just have a lot of friends that, you know, that was a cartoon we all loved. And I remember being, you know, watching it back a little bit later and finding things that I didn't necessarily, like, notice. Like uh, the relationship between Gene and Logan and cyclops you know like that all that stuff you don't really i'm like i want to see some sentinels blowing up i don't care about any of this mushy gushy stuff as a kid but then you watch it back later and you're like man this really is it holds up a lot better than i realized um do you guys find yourself thinking that looking back at some of the stories that you got to work on with that show speaking of mummies alive you worked with mark evens as uh as your head writer in crafting what was going to be the only episodes, season one, episode one through for 13, Braxman. Mark Eaton's being Michael Eaton's brother. And you were the story editor, showrunner, the guy who developed the show for TV. His name's on every episode. But there was absolutely no confidence the show was going to roll. So the first 13 episodes, that was going to be it. And that was you and Mark yeah. sitting down and saying, well, what stories do we tell? At our dining room table. At our with, dining room table. Ice, ice tea, trying to figure out what, what to do with this this huge comic and book. I got I'm a, I got to write for the series I, I so yeah but yeah to be honest so so, so in, in the case of Exit we didn't have the romper room lady there <laughs> so we had people above us the bosses above us saying yeah make this really adult yeah make you push this stuff make make it more intense and you have the comic books to fall back on you want if if they if if the romper room lady had been there we would have held up the comics and said, why are you putting money look at the comics look how ferociously intense the comics are because what we did was 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 gentle in terms of the the intensity of the violence anyway compared to the comic books but the adult stuff it, it was kind of like a bullwinkle thing for us it was we were writing to please ourselves about heroic storytelling about heroic sacrifice and making the jeopardy real and making the stakes real and making this 
really adult concerns going on in every episode. Um, and so just the way the, the Bullwinkle people wrote the scripts to make each other laugh, we wrote them to, to try to impress each other. Okay, we're, we're serious about this isn't pretend, this isn't kind of super friends where people just kind of stand around and chuckle and don't really fight with each other. And that's why we killed a, a character in the first story. Morph was was killed in the first. We wanted to show that this was not pretend, that this was the real stuff. And that, again, it comes from what we are allowed to do. We're hired to make a show like that from with the executives at Fox above us saying, do that. And the Marvel people were thrilled with it because that's the way their books were. Um, and it was just the first time we were able, ever able to take a kid's show and make it that adult. And that was, it just showed what all these, because these writers write on other shows that are gentler and more constricted and less challenging. And it's just, it's just the opportunity, you know, the, uh, and that was, you know, we grabbed it. I, in Mummies, I, th I mean, there's stuff I'm sure we did on the side in Mummies. Once we got started, once where they were happy with the setup of, of the boy, of the mummies coming forward and the boy being the Presley, in Presley incarnation, um, then we were probably able to put more adult and more, you know, more intense stuff in there than they would have imagined. But um, yeah, that was uh, just was it was a different thing. It was more, it was mummies was more fun. Mummies was more funny. Uh, there's not a lot of humor in X-Men. People don't realize that. They look back and say, oh, yeah. But it was a very serious show. Well, each character gets his or her line off, and it gets yeah. a little sting in there on X-Men. But, but yeah, it, yeah. it, it was it's a, it's a heavy-duty series. Yeah. And so, yeah, tell, tell you guys thanks. And it was... Yeah. Both <laughs> these were great. Both, both these were great fun, except mm -hmm. for that fight with the Romper oh, and Lady. Um, being able to to tell stories with your friend, with your buddies. And I always just got, I got to hire the people I wanted to. So with buddies, it's just, I mean, it's great. It's just, it's a great way to live. There's pressure to do it, to do it well and do it on time, but it's, 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 it's a, it's a cool career. No, that's great. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, one thing that I did want to bring up and he kind of answered it right there. The first half of it is, you know, finding something and being proud of it and being like, okay, this is something that we got to do that I really loved. And, you know, you got to have your, basically your fingerprint on it. And I think that's great. But I did wonder if you could maybe talk about a time, if one comes to mind, that it, it maybe it was difficult. The way it tends to work, at least in our corner of the universe, uh, you are either sort of the story editor in charge of, creating the universe and then having the episodes hit and have, but animation, especially, it is a train that has left the station and everything has to come out because there are hundreds of people behind you who have to start the drawing, have to start the character models, have to start the layouts, have to start the backgrounds. The artist side of it is huge. So as a writer, you do not have the luxury once things are rolling to worry about things, uh, but you've got to you've got to get your job done. You've got to do the, the best you can do. You've got to put your heart in it. Eric and I have worked on different shows, each of us together and independently. And some have you you mentioned difficult. 
but I, I like to think I really tried to put my heart in whatever I was, I really tried my hardest, even if the show itself was difficult or the assignment was rough, because I just, I love what I do. Mm. I love the doing of, of the craft of it. Uh, now, now you, you, okay, I'm going back here. You ask about, was there a moment when I was proud of something? And this is a very, very stupid, tiny moment, but it mattered to me. And this was uh, when I was working at Disney Animation on Chippendale's Rescue Rangers, of all things. And there is a five-parter that involves the pound underground, the dogs that are helping the rescue rangers solve a problem in the five-parter opener. That became the five-parter opener, it wasn't, but. And one of, you know, a, a, a police dog is, uh, is impressed with what Chippendale done and hands them his badge because he's proud of them. And, and the line had drafted was, you know, um, a a, 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 the police badge is the most important thing he, uh, uh, an officer has it is it is his most important whatever most important uh item and i came back and i said can we put it is his most it is it, it, it is the most important item for him or her because i this I'm, I'm ruining this but if we go back and watch the episode the fact that just trying to get a get a her in there try to get a girl you know mention that there are females and that I, I was very proud of getting that you know um him or her in there, yeah. adding the or her. Yeah, it's so I, small, but that mattered to me. I think the frustration, the, the the downsides are when when the wrong people are thrown together on a project. Ah! That's because you're 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 pushing in different directions, and there's no if you can't find that common ground, and sometimes you can't, then it's going to make for a long project, and there are you know from your point of view you tend to think of you know they're just they're just not getting it or they're just not listening to me but you know part of it could be coming from you as well they probably they probably could be thinking the same thing so when nobody's at fault if you just if you just got the wrong mix of people with the wrong different agendas like you just alive. You, know, you could just drive each other crazy like those two business people of Mummy's Alive, mm -hmm. but it works. You know, people that are like directly working every day creatively and and just, no, I, I I don't see what you're doing with that scene. Try it again, try it again. It's not work. Well, if, if if you can't get that, then then you're in for some rough times. Um, there are also, there's some people that seem to, that drift into the business that may be more at executive levels than, than at creative levels, but the, at all, all levels that are either kind of scared or maybe just don't know what they want. And that can be just, that can be worse than somebody with a very definitive, you know, if, if somebody has a very de definitive idea of what they want, you can always say, well, you know, I just don't fit the show, you know, That's a good hire point. her somebody. That's a very but good we, point. We've been, we've been with people where, you know, you give them nine versions of things and they just. They it, can't give you a direct note. Like, yeah. Give me something else. Give me some, yeah. Can you, give, can you tell me what you don't like about yeah. this? And just give me something they're, they're, else. No, no, they're inter they're inter they, they don't know, they don't know what they want. They know that whatever it is you're doing is not what they want. And it just, it, it just, you, you find that person and you run away. Because, <laughs> uh, because there's just, it's just an endless, it's tar baby. There's just an endless, there's no way you can make it no way you can make it better you cut your losses you say that was a bad project or thank you very much 
I'll take this, you know, the, the first script fee, but you know, those other four that you promised me, give them to somebody that fits better. And let me jump in here, kind of on topic. Eric and I are talking to you in the year 2022. We have somehow managed to make a career and a life out here in Los Angeles. If, if anyone's listening for career advice, the, and we're in, we live in Los Angeles, we work in Hollywood, live below your means. Whatever you earn, start saving now. Whatever you think you need to be happy, see if you can't like lower those expectations. I, I, we have seen folks flame out spectacularly and that's not a good way because the money was rolling in and they, For were, a year or two. Yeah. And they were on the kind of hot streak that made me jealous and then the hot streak's over. And the, I'm telling you, find fiscal responsibility. We don't talk about that often when it comes to like, what's your career? What do you want to do with your life? Fiscal responsibility. Please be aware of that as you, whatever you end up doing with your life, fiscal yeah. responsibility. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because you can get intoxicated with it out oh here. Oh my because God. At whatever level you're at, you're, you're seeing 15 other people that are doing even better. Oh yeah. And so you think, well, I'm, I'm okay, but it's just, it's just going to keep on. It's like the stock market going up. It's, it's always going to keep going up, right? <laughs> and then... Uh, but yeah, it's, you can't, you, it can go, for, there were, there were times when we were, had four different shows overlapping that, that we, we were, were, that we were getting fees for. And mm -hmm. so you're not, that isn't, that isn't normal income, you know, that's versus suddenly going five months with nothing, you know, with zero shows. And so you have to know that there's going to be those. Right. And, and it can and be live feast in the or famine for sure. Yeah, live in the that middle. is exactly feast or famine. That's exactly what it is. And there's, here. and there's no guarantees out here. Mm -hmm. it, we used to freak her dad out. Who's this very conservative. <laughs> he was a conservative old. You know, uh, he passed some years ago, but God bless my dad. Old doctor. And he just couldn't figure How do you live as freelancers? How do you go just <laughs> yeah. not knowing from month to month if you're, if you have a salary right. or not. Or from year to or, year, or, who you're or, working or, for. Or if you're ever going to have another salary. Sorry, that's just, you know, <laughs> that's, the, that's the way they set it up. And when things are going hot, it means that we can get four overlapping shows. And when they're not, we just have we to. We can survive those that time. We, we stop. So that's yeah. my giant wisdom. Take, yeah. an, take an improv class and save your money. <laughs> and you think about uh, Seneca when he wrote about Hercules, he said, he went to the lowest lows to get to the highest highs, and that can be for anybody. I mean, that it does not matter who you are. Like, people can go through that, and when you're up, you got to remember how easy it is to be back down. Um, and I think that's just important to anyone. You, you gave me a little bit of a, a a little bit of a shell shock when you were talking about uh, working with someone that didn't know what they meant, because one of the worst things I hear, you know, I'm in the creative industry. And uh, the thing, one of the things that just chills me to the bone is I all know it when I see it. Oh, 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 oh. oh we feel your pain. We, feel oh. Oh. <laughs> uh, we got we, we got one from a from a guy that we were actually warned against. Mm. You go through you go through the script, and if something wasn't exactly the way he'd imagine it, he just put do better. No, he'd write oh. DB. <laughs> That's great advice. Do better. It's like. Oh, I never thought of that. Yes. <laughs> Wouldn't have occurred to me to do better. Just the best I can do to you are that. Yeah, DB. That, that haunts me still. DB. Yeah. Like I didn't. Never one creative uh, suggestion. Just, like make it like wow. uh, writer or could this you know could he could he deliver the line? No, just that was a. It's actually his initials, right? Douchebag. 
<laughs> well, Julia and Eric, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for talking to me. Um, can you maybe tell people where, you know, if they want to keep up with what you're working on, projects you have coming up, can you tell people about that? So we, uh, if you want to grab the book here, uh, what, what, ha oh, and Harold, we don't know if you know, but, um, we are very proud and pleased to, uh, let the <laughs> <laughs> here, uh, speak to the fact that back in November, Again, the world, there's too much you can find out about. But Disney Plus is out there now. We don't get a dime from Disney Plus, chilling it. But we want you to know about Disney Plus because, because Disney Plus, yeah. in 2023, they are coming out with Disney with X-Men 97. And an extension of our show. And Picks yeah. up where, ours, where this one ended. Yeah, 95% of the time when there's a reboot out here, and there are reboots all the time. 99%. They just don't call the original people that, no. did, that made the original hit. Well, no. you know, times have changed. There's new young people that, that have new ideas, whatever. But they were nice enough. They called us, and we are have been hired as consultants. It was basically, oh. they do all the work, and we can occasionally, <laughs> you know, opine about, oh, go. yeah, can we change this a little bit? So Eric and I and Larry Houston, who was the art director producer on the show, the three of us, Larry, who did the art here, uh, have been invited in as uh, consulting producers for the new show, which is coming out in 2023, X-Men 97. To that end, this book um, is the product of uh, the good folks at Abrams and the folks at Marvel Disney who, who reached out to us in 2019, 2018 and said, uh, hey guys, we want to have a book about the art and making of the show. Would you be interested in writing that? Yeah. So we dug, so we dug through and found all the old stuff and all the old models. Because it was all on and, paper. There was and, no computer back Right. Then. And so not, you know, nobody had these. And uh, I we, I wrote it in Microsoft for DOS, the not for scripts. Windows, not the scripts, not wow. for Windows, but for DOS. On a dot matrix printer, you're printing it out. So 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 <laughs> we dug up all, all this cool old stuff, and surprise it, you know. Shock, shocking, shocking! You know, all the artists are using this for the new show. Are using this as a you know as a basis. Like, oh, well, this this these are the models that we're working from. Luckily, uh, we found we found good. artists from the original show that had kept that had kept all their old model sheets and had kept all their old designs. Man. It had been twenty. It had been thirty years. Stuff was in uh, in old uh, um, what uh, what do you call it? Uh, storage. storage. It was in storage units. We had to you know dig yeah. our dust our way through at least finding old cells and finding, find yeah. so the point is you asked where we i am on x-men tas which is x-men the animated series that that was my acronym for it because of star trek the original series so x-men tas on twitter on instagram we're on facebook that's that's ways for folks to find us and, and reach out and chat i think i don't i forget how you met found eric but we're there. We're there a lot. Please find us, you know, um, and we have a website, xmentas.com, where there's Eric wrote a blog for, for a year, you know, daily about the, the, the craft stories, behind Stories, anecdotes show. about what happened on the show. Right. So please reach out. You know, we're, we're here. We're, we're on, on, on Twitter. I try and be upright and bouncy because you know, the fact that folks enjoy the show and here we are 30 years later and they're still it speaks to them still. I, I'm we proud go, of that. And we go to comic cons a lot. So we'll hope to go to more. Yeah. yeah if, if they ever come back yeah. uh, from the pandemic. Gosh. So wherever, if we're, if there's, there's one in Oklahoma and hey. you know, we'll, we'll give you, we'll give you a ring. Before. Yeah, please yeah, please ask sure. your local con people <laughs> to invite us to where you are. We'd love to come. Yeah. We've had one before. We had one in Tulsa for a little bit and then 
Uh, we've had one or two here in Oklahoma City, but but yeah, definitely that would be awesome. And then yeah, I really hope you guys enjoy your time consulting on. The, if they're not up to snuff, don't be afraid to hit them with the do better. <laughs> oh God! You can you can pass oh, that along God. to the next generation here. <laughs> No, I really do appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you very much. I think it's really cool when people take some time to chat with me about things that they love, things that they've you know put all their time and effort into, and producing something that means so much to people. I think that's just really fun to talk about. Hope you enjoyed the interview. As always, you can follow us on social media. That's Tunes Tunes Podcast T U N E S slash T O O N S. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts. See you.